0: Hello, and welcome back to the Christian Contrast podcast. Today, I'm joined by two socially distanced guests. We've got uh, <laughs> Pastor Phil over here. Hey, dude. How you doing? Good. How are you? i good. good. And, uh, as usual, Pastor Dan. Glad to be here. Yeah, this is uh, just like old times. Absolutely. Yeah. Except I've got to look both ways far off into the <laughs> distance. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be um, diving back into our series uh, called LBF Church Will Never Be the Same. Where we're talking about... Uh, some of the ways in which 2020 has brought about some significant uh, uh, changes uh, for all of us and even the church as well. Today, we're going to be taking a look um, at racism and how we as a church and we as individuals are um, just dialoguing about this topic and how maybe we've made some um, changes. Uh, Phil, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about um, maybe your journey this year um with with uh, lots of things but maybe specifically um about how you've seen racism um how you've dialogued about that and talked about that and thought about that
1: yeah um i think that the the series that we're in now the agents of light series to me has really been sort of the anchor that i was hoping for for our church um and uh it's really spoken myself my family and allowed us to have some really meaningful dialogue, not only in the agents of light group in the Wednesday night life, uh, the, the Wednesday night men's study, and especially at home, um, we've been having a lot of conversations with our kids and especially of course, since George Floyd and then moving through COVID and into, uh, agents of light, we've been able to have really wonderful conversations with the kids that, um, that that the Agents of Light series has really been able to sort of create a foundation for, create an anchor for. um, Because we are talking specifically about what it means to be an agent of light. And I think the best word picture coming out of this is, how does my attitude and behavior open up a window into the gospel? Or does my attitude and behavior as a believer in Jesus Christ open up a window into the gospel? And when talking about this issue, Hmm. um, opening up that window into the gospel, especially in our conversations with kids and, the, and, and folks that I've had, it has come back to um, having the ability, having the understanding, the, the, the sort of landing in a place where I understand that being able to ask questions, being able to try and understand things that I don't understand or people that I don't understand is really truly the key mm-hmm. to opening up that window into the gospel. I know scripture is clear that every single one of us has incredible value in the eyes of God, has been created intelligently in an act of love. Mm -hmm. And here we are in this crazy cultural time where it's so easy for us to say, that's the enemy, or that's the enemy, or I'm in the right and you're in the wrong, or Mm -hmm. this is the right side and that is the right side. This series has reminded us to wash that all clean. At the end of the day, my responsibility as a Christian is to shine the light of Jesus. And when it comes to race race in america how do i shine the light of jesus and oftentimes one of the greatest lights one of the greatest ways to shine a light is to be able to stop what i'm doing stop my thoughts take a step back and ask questions Mm. and try and better understand and uh and the agents of light series has really reminded us um that that is so important
0: let me let me ask you a question do you think that racism is one of those many issues that we as christians uh, when we respond to it, for some reason, we, we don't go to the Bible first. Instead, we go to our own experience and our own opinions, yeah. and we kind of uh, forget that maybe, uh, maybe God has something to say about these things. Gosh,
1: I think that happens in, in a lot of different areas. But certainly, uh, it, you know, when talking about race, I think it happens all the time. Um, we've had our certain experiences. We've come of age in a certain time, mm-hmm. and all those experiences, and, and when we came of age, and you add on our faith, they inform how we respond to different things and especially how we respond to race. And um, oftentimes it's very simple and very easy to forget that um, the, uh, the person across the room or the person with a different opinion has been made by the same God that loves me and cares for me. Hmm. And um, uh, scripture provides the foundation that we need to be able to put our thoughts and feelings aside and set the love of Jesus ahead. And that's what we need to continue to practice to do.
0: Dan, what, do you think you could bring kind of a biblical perspective to, um, uh, I guess, kind of the idea of race? You know, some of the things that I think that we fall into is that um, that God, the Creator, or maybe we bring our own opinion, is that color maybe or race isn't important because we're all children of God. But you know, Phil brought up a good point that you know, God intelligently, specifically made everyone. Uh, what's the biblical you know, foundation for that, and how does race play a part of that?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a weird one to talk about because I, I think if we start with just where we are, we would say it would, it would be hard to get around the fact that as we look in our world, and specifically in the, the United States, to say race is important because there are objective things that we can look at to say race is making a difference in the way that we're behaving and viewing ourselves. Um, Biblically, it would be very hard to make the case race is important. Um, Ethnicity is talked about, and ethnicity and race sometimes have to do with each other. But the distinction is that ethnicity has to do with country of origin um, and nationality, and race typically is associated with physical features. We we think most commonly of skin color, but also sometimes there's some other facial features that might go along um, with race and uh biblically it's like apart from one passage that talks about an ethiopian can't change the color of his skin Hmm. there's not really anything in the bible that's talking about race you do see a lot of ethnic divisions and ethnic oppression and alienation and so even down to the part of the reason why the book of ruth is such a profound and beautiful book there's endless reasons but one of them is that ruth is a moabite woman now Pretty likely, if you looked at her around all the Jews, it wouldn't be obvious Mm. she was not, I I mean, if you go, not to say my experience is everything. I spent a semester in Israel, there's Jews, there's Muslims, there's Armenians, there's there's all kinds of people. I'm just like, I'm maybe also a little bit dumb on this stuff. I'm like, everybody looked, very similar to me. Mm-hmm. And so in the ancient Near East, the idea wasn't that the Jews were looking at the Moabites and saying they're a different color than us, therefore they're outsiders. It had to do with their ethnicity. It had to do with their nationality. But part of why Ruth is so beautiful is that it's a story of overcoming, about there being something more foundationally true. And Ruth embraces the God of the Jews. She embraces the one true God and is welcomed, and is, is even an agent of uh, of redemption, not mm-hmm. only for Naomi in that story, but she ends up being an ancestor of David who ends up being an ancestor of Jesus. Right. So the Bible is full of this kind of stuff where you have these ethnic uh, ethnic um, barriers being overcome. So it's weird because it, at least for me, and, and you guys can weigh in on this, um, for me, I look at race and say, um, there's there's a way in which it's correct to say, race doesn't matter. Just in the sense of saying, There's nothing that you would read in the Bible and say, the color of my skin, the shade of my skin tells me something about who I am. You'd look at ethnicity and you'd say, it's not the main thing, but it does tell me something. Because when you talk about the new earth, you talk about people from every tribe and tongue and nation, and even there you have the kings of the nations bringing their gifts, so ethnic identity, you'd say, it's not the main thing, it's something. Um, Our maleness or femaleness, that definitely is more at the core of what it says about us. Our humanity and then our identity in Christ, those are right at the core. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a weird thing to talk about where on the one hand, biblically, you could say it doesn't matter. But then we'd say, well, it matters because we've made it matter. Mm. And that's not good that we've made it matter. But it's sort of like it's not impossible that we would reach a point where it doesn't matter to us anymore. But we're certainly not there. And because of the different sins that we've done in this area, um, we're not terribly close to being there. And we can, especially us as, as you know, I mean, for me as a white guy, I, I can be frustrated and say, stop making a big deal about this. We've come to the conclusion as a society that this isn't a big deal anymore. Um, but once again, that, that's easier for me to say, mm-hmm. um, to try to move past it. And so, um, so, yeah, it's one of these weird things where it doesn't matter, but it does matter because we've made it matter. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's it's really interesting to think about uh how does the the Bible inform us today on issues such as racism? And what it becomes clear um when you read the Bible is that um deciding who someone is because of how they look is doesn't go along with biblical values. So much so that it's not even really addressed and if any if anything where you're from is way more important who your ancestors were and what they actually did to some other tribe is more important than than what you look yeah. like.
2: When and I know, I think, yeah. yeah, when I know Phil and we, I, we've had discussions about this because my, the way I've tried to couch it at different times is racism is one expression of, you might say tribalism. Like if we're putting a big umbrella and say tribalism is any time that I am looking at the world through there are people in and there are people out. There are people who I identify with, and therefore they're with me, they're good. There are people outside that, and therefore they're out. And racism is one form of that. Just like you could do that with ethnicity, you could do that with um, religion, you could do that with sexual orientation. You know, you could choose any number of things, and racism is one form of that. So that's the thing where you'd say, the Bible certainly addresses it in principle, sure. in talking yeah. about overcoming barriers, the barrier between the Jew and the Gentile in principle that's overcoming that barrier, the The idea of the rich and the poor being one, that's overcoming a barrier. Mm-hmm. So I'd say in principle, we could look at that and say, um, sadly, it should not surprise us that we basically invented one more way mm-hmm. to do this. And we did it by something that apparently in, in the times of scripture, and maybe it's because there wasn't as much travel as there is now, um, didn't really seem to occur to people to mm-hmm. use. now we've said we found another one we found another way to have people who are in and people who are out
0: yeah yeah that's really important and
1: and it's so much more fun to rather than use differences to separate us to use differences to to look into those differences and be able to celebrate them and uh, allow it to spark a curiosity inside us that would allow us to grow in our understanding of people like uh, three of us are sitting here we all have a completely different story and that story each each of our stories has value and sitting sitting and being able to listen to somebody's story that's the one time like oftentimes people will say like how can you my wife will say how can you get in front of a bunch of folks and speak um how it's got to be so intimidating but anybody can do i I really believe anybody can do it when they're talking when they're telling their story Mm -hmm. and people will listen when you're telling your story and so um The differences that we have, just the three of us, there's so much to be able to learn and grow and celebrate from just listening to each other. Imagine all the different stories that are out there that we don't know. And especially from folks that we don't understand, what Mm -hmm. a wonderful opportunity, especially during this time, to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take that step and try and understand somebody a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Allow that spark of curiosity to grow in my life. Um, And I really do think that when it comes to this particular issue, the issue of race, that we need to be proactive at taking advantage of those moments that we have in our personal days and our personal lives where we come across somebody that we don't understand or somebody's a little bit different. And we take that step, that courageous step, to step forward and, 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 and say, Hey, my name is Phil. Um, where are you from? What, t- tell me about yourself. I want to learn more. And man, learning about somebody always breaks down barriers and yeah. always breaks down walls. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, Every day we have that opportunity
2: in our lives. Yeah, yeah, and that that whole idea. I mean, the the word I use sometimes in talking about this is just the the word proximity, um, because those mm-hmm. barriers those barriers are real. Um, and, and even it's that thing where you would say if there's you know if there's a black person and a white person, there's nothing about that fact that says um, that says that inherently there's going to be something different about how they uh, how they engage in the world. Because of our culture, we can have a pretty good level of confidence. That the shade of somebody's skin is going to have informed their experience in the world. And so that that's a factor that mm-hmm. that we um that we can be safe in at least assuming to some extent. We can't say for sure I know what they're gonna think, but we can say this probably has affected how the the they've experienced things and the grid through which they look at things and the whole idea of proximity. Like I know we we all have had the experience um of somebody saying to us, um, most Christians are hypocrites and dumb, but not you you're like you're different mm-hmm. um which they're trying to be flattering, but is sort of like okay my, my response is always like if you knew more Christians, you'd know like i'm nothing I'm nothing exceptional here mm-hmm. yeah. and sometimes like i've I've had that happen with race um where where people have said like you know a lot of white people are this or that, but but you like you're you're cool right. like you sort of like you're an ally. And for me, there, there's different times where I think like, okay, like there's a part of me that wants to take that as like, well, like that's very flattering. But I'm like, I, I don't, I, I think if you're around a lot more people, I don't feel like I'm exceptional on this issue. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm anything mm-hmm. where where I'm treating people very differently than um, than a lot of other people are. But when we don't have that proximity, because we do tend to to drift towards people that are very, very similar to us whether it's skin color, whether it's just socioeconomic class, which, which I think is probably even bigger than skin color in our world right now. is just, are we running with people that have the same basic lifestyle? It's gonna be that much easier for us to draw dehumanizing conclusions sure. about people, for sure. because you see them on the news, or you watch a movie, or you have two very limited experiences with them, and you're like, both times, both times I was around somebody from this state, with this accent, with this skin color, who's homeless, wh- whatever it is. Both times this happened to me, and therefore, whether I say it out loud or not, this is now my working grid for those people.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think that that is, that is so true, and we know of um, times in our lives, probably, where we've been immersed into different culture or different uh, different relationships, and it's changed our perspective. But for the most part, we don't, and maybe, we can't can't necessarily move or switch jobs or, you know, so how do we, and maybe this is part of maybe some of the changes that we're making in 2020. How do we begin to do that in in, in a way that has impact? How do we begin to see someone else's perspective? If we don't have people in proximity who are different than us, if we, if everyone, our job looks similar, or, I mean, we could, you could work at a large company, have, have people of many different races and different, um, you know, situations that you interact with but like you said we tend to kind of group with people who are similar so how do we either a break away from that kind of pattern or b even if we can't make those changes how can we still inform ourselves of someone else's perspective yeah yeah you have yeah some
1: i'll, t- I'll take this? that so yeah. i really do believe that it, um certainly there's going to be um places that are the same every day whether it's at home or at work or at play or wherever but i really do think that um wherever we're at our proximity will ebb and flow and will take us and put us in different situations on a daily basis. Um, And I think God gives us those opportunities oftentimes. And I got to hear one of those stories today from a friend here at church who said, Phil, I I, uh, the other day met a woman and she's Egyptian. And I said, and I asked, I said, is she Coptic? And he says, yes, Coptic Christian. And I said, does she have to tattoo on her wrist? Said yes, she has tattoo on <laughs> her wrist. And what I loved about this is he he's so curious. Hmm. And he is he is actively asking her questions, trying to learn more about her and her life and where she came from and what she believes. And he's even on the internet researching. <laughs> um more about coptic christianity and coptic egyptians and the 13th like the, the egypt has had the largest majority of christians at 1.13 million christians coptic christians living in egypt and learning about coptic cairo he's doing this actively on his own hmm. by god putting him in like that proximity um barrier coming down being in proximity with this person and deciding to roll with it deciding to actively pursue a better understanding of this woman and even going on the internet and researching and i just was so i was like this this is it this is what we all need to be doing and might not we might not have the opportunity every single day but if if our hearts are in the right place when the opportunity presents presents itself we'll follow through
0: yeah yeah that's cool
2: yeah and I think just going along with that, uh, you know, and this may have been what you were aiming at a little bit. Like, I, I think that there are some areas as we talk about will never be the same um, that can feel daunting. But I think one of the things that we would do well to respond to um, what's happening in our culture during this time is to say, if we're really going to overcome barriers, it's clearly going to take intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's clearly, you know, I, I shared with you guys earlier that I've had a change of mind slash change of approach, where um, there were a lot of things that that I would sometimes hear different pastors or different people saying, we you know, get up front. And it came off to me like they thought they were being real bold and they were saying just self-evident things. Like, hey, no matter what color you are, we are all equal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, welcome to first grade. Like mm-hmm. to me, it felt so just dumb. And I just, I avoided that. Like I I didn't avoid saying things that I thought were important to say, but I thought this doesn't need to be said. This is silly. Um, And I've really changed my mind on it for for a variety of reasons. And I'd say the main reason that surprised me why I've changed my mind on that is that my experience has told me that there's people who are racial minorities that um, are deeply blessed and relieved when they hear things like that overtly said. There are some that no doubt aren't. There are some that do feel like it's patronizing. And, you know, different people have different experiences. But over and over again, I've had people say, now I know. Like, now I know you're an ally. Now I know you're with me. Um, I thought I was, but I wasn't 100% sure. So where I, mm-hmm. I've i erred on the side, like my, my grid, my instinct is to say, I'm going to assume anybody I'm talking to is not racist at all until they demonstrate that they are. There are people that right or wrong their experiences have led them to more suspicion have led them to say i want to give you the benefit of the doubt but it's like charlie brown with the football like i've run up so many times and tried to kick it and lucy keeps moving it out of the way it's a peanuts reference if you don't know what that is um uh that why would i keep giving people the benefit of the doubt like i need you to do some active demonstrating of this and so it's weird because for me it feels very uncomfortable to do that i feel like i'm i'm talking down to people but i've had the consistent experience that people have been glad people have felt helped by the fact that i do that and also i need to recognize that um i like i grew up with parents that were not racist I was exposed at an early age to to different things, whether it's through sports with Jackie Robinson or just becoming fascinated with Martin Luther King Jr. And so I felt like from an early age, I, I had some advantages in just really um, seeing the significance um, and and the evil of racism that there are other people around me that I need to not assume that that's the case of everybody that's around me just because they look like me or seem to be polite people. Um, I'd shared with you guys, I had an experience over a decade ago. I, I, don't, I don't remember what year was the Trayvon Martin shooting, but it was, mm-hmm. it was at some point after that, so in the 2000s. Um, and I ended up having a personal interaction with a guy that I knew who was a cop who um, was pushing back, was frustrated with the people that were upset about the Trayvon Martin stuff. I couldn't totally figure out where he was coming from. And eventually, in a private message, he said to me, he said, I'm a cop, and my experiences tell me that all people are created equal and in god's image but we're different and our racial differences actually are real differences and the specific way he said it is he said i think black people are just more aggressive Hmm. and even saying this on the podcast Mm -hmm. i'm like ah Mm -hmm. like (laughs) my head was about to explode i was like i can't believe somebody just admitted they think this Mm. And I was mortified and I, and I did tell him in the message, I said, now this is like, there are a lot of things today that are called racist that I'm kind of like, I'm not sure that's racist. That's racist. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just like the very definition of, of racism. And I told him that it was. And at the same time, I also told him, I'm glad that you admitted to me that you think this um, because you're never going to get past that. You're never gonna put yourself in a, in a position to be in the proximity of people that are gonna dispel that falsehood if you don't take the time to admit to yourself that you have these racist thoughts and it happens with it happens with white people it happens with black people like it happens with everyone i was, I was at a conference in florida and um we were talking about um trying to take intentional steps at, at setting up church in a way that you could be multiracial because um, we would look at our church and say of course we want everybody here but but intentional steps is different and it was interesting because it was a largely black contingency that was there um they were not taken for granted they were not taken for granted that all of the black people wanted white people in their churches because of experiences they'd had mm. so for a variety of reasons i just think more intentionality is needed in our words and our communication mm. and signaling to people like yes i really do value you yeah
0: yeah that's really good
2: that's good steps
1: um so dan in in week intentionality is a huge word yeah a b there was a, a there was a quote that you said in your sermon it was your quote it's week two on race and you correct me if i'm wrong you had said that before you come to me and tell me what other people should be doing tell me what you are doing yeah is that what you that it was, it was
2: something that something to that effect. And for context, at least in my head, what I was mainly thinking of before you come to me and complain about what black lives matter shouldn't be doing, right? Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what is the thing that you're doing that is better to help fix this problem than the person that you think is making it worse. Okay.
1: And I think that's a great, that's a great challenge to um, inspire us towards intentionality. Um, Because for any of us that have ever, or are at this point thinking to myself, well, all fill in the blank people are fill in the blank. We need to take a step back and right off the bat, we need to, we need to give to the Lord Mm -hmm. and we need to pray. And that's to me, for me, that's step one in my home. That's step one. Lord, um, help soften my heart. Lord, help me be gracious. Lord, help me, um, have a learning spirit and help me try and understand people. That's, that's number one. Number two is my hope is that everybody watching this, everybody listening to this is in the Bible reading plan, or if they're not in the LBF Bible reading plan, that they are in some sort of some sort of consistent um, interaction with Scripture on a daily basis so that you've got your source of inspiration. You've got your source of truth continuously reminding you who you are meant to be every single day, and that, and in giving you the examples of the kinds of attitudes and behaviors that are ex- expected from scripture, from those of us that call Jesus king. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, last week, um, Titus chapter two is a great example. We have a collection of, uh, you know, uh, Paul is talking to Titus and he's giving him a collection of virtues aimed at different folks in his community. And and those virtues end, they crescendo with Mm -hmm. these should lead to self-control. These Mm -hmm. should lead to self-control and want you to have self-control so that your people will, you will not malign the word of God so that others will not look down on the word of God and so that you will make the gospel attractive. So I need to get God's word inside of me on a daily basis and be praying to God and then the hope is is that we can be intentional in our own in our, in our own lives, mm-hmm. um, take advantage of those moments where we are in proximity with people, and allow that curiosity to take over, that softening of my heart to actually be physicalized and begin to ask questions and learn about people. And another way to be intentional is to follow through with questions. And we live in a day and age where if you have questions, it's not like you don't have, you have Google to ask. Yeah, and you can use the internet, and you can you can. You can do your research to try and better understand. One of the cool things in our... So Amy and I are both passionate about this issue. And over the course of the past three or four months, we've watched... Uh, nearly every streaming service, every streaming movie catalog has had its Black History Month or, or or section on this issue, and we've watched so many movies from Selma to Coco. And Dan, you and I have talked about Coco, and and this is <laughs> don't make me cry. Uh, no, yeah. I know I'm not going to try to make you it. cry, but it, it's, it'll it'll work on you. And it, Coco, two movies, Coco and Black Panther, have been so important in our home. Uh, not only as a source of wonderful entertainment, but amazing discussion with the kids Mm -hmm. where these are two movies that have taken, celebrated, uh, their specific cultures, the Mexican culture and, and, and African culture in these wonderful and creative ways that have just totally blessed us Mm -hmm. and entertained us and just, uh, Maybe for the first time in some people's lives, reminding folks that there is tremendous and wonderful value and color in each of these areas, in each of these communities. And specifically Black Panther in a year where not only have we had all this racial racial tension, but Black Panther and Jackie Robinson himself, Chadwick Boseman has passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, It just reminded me of when this movie came out and seeing all these folks in the black community, kids especially, coming out of that film just so profoundly moved because for the first time in their lives, they saw somebody who looks like them doing amazing things, being a hero, and that has never left me. That idea has never Mm -hmm. left me, that we live in a time where we got to to bear witness to the first time a little black boy got to see a black man as a hero Mm -hmm. on the screen rather than something negative. And, And that all comes from intentionally sitting down and wanting to pursue a better understanding of this issue
0: yeah wow that's so powerful and i think that that helps us inform ourselves that there's of course there's still work to be done because that was in 2020 is the first time that a little black boy can say that you know for the most part especially in in something as popular as a disney movie you yeah know? i i love that you guys both shared about the ways that you're you know really trying intentionally uh, kind of change and move into a more sense of direction for me um you know i still kind of struggle with that proximity thing but i i've done two things in 2020 that i've really tried to um just better inform myself the first thing is is who am i reading you know am i intentionally reading books from people of color and and this year i've read uh three christian books from three christian authors uh two black theologians uh and and a, a black ministry leader about um about Black church culture, black ecclesiology. And you know, I don't think that without these conversations, but I would have intentionally done that. And I would have just not intentionally chose white authors, but just chose um, bestseller lists or recommended books and, and missed out on really learning from someone else's perspective. Um, I think it's important that we we take steps to do that, because without doing that, we'll still have only our own perspective or people who are like us. And the other thing is that we kind of alluded to is, is having those intentional discussions. I think in years past, you know, uh, being a youth pastor in a, in a white youth group or even a diverse youth group, I probably would have avoided some discussions about race, feeling inadequate or or, or afraid to say the wrong thing or um, uh, not being informed enough to leave that well. And the situation where some of us find ourselves where Around someone with prejudices, or someone in our family, and for the most part, I've just, I think, just been afraid. Hmm. And I think if, if I learned anything in 2020, it's, it's to be willing to have those dialogues. And to me, that's different than saying, and I'm glad you did say that that was racist. I think that's important to do, especially pastorally. But it's different than just looking out for racist things. Right. But it's looking for intentional conversations and asking questions, not just people who are different from us because they look different than us, but people who are different than us because they have, <clears throat> they're misinformed about. Mm-hmm. Something or, or people group. And then maybe we're the only people that's going to ask them more about why they think like that, or have they ever thought that that could be offensive to somebody else. Or so whatever right. that discussion looks like, um, they're probably in the back of their mind understand that one, that that's not they're Christian, that's not Christian. Two, that's kind of the the theme of twenty twenty of learning it's okay to have those discussions and and hopefully, you know, we as Christians can lead those discussions well that that aren't um Aren't offensive to others i want to ask one last question as we end here and this is something that we talked about earlier that we don't have strong things that that we as a church might be doing to address this issue but if you guys could kind of theorize you know what could we as lbf do to begin to um to have more of those conversations or be more sensitive about issues uh, regarding
2: race hmm. yeah you want to go first
1: sure um, right. I, I, you know i i think that we're we're uniquely positioned um, in, a, in a in a place that is surrounded by. I mean, we just we have a lot of of cultural diversity in our area. Here, certainly, here in the San Antonio Heights, it's primarily white, um, primarily middle class, upper middle class. But we're surrounded by a lot of cultural diversity, and my hope is, is as as we move into the coming years at LBF that maybe there'll be a time where we can make some intentional choices as a church to reach out a, to the Latino community, which is so prevalent in this area, um, to reach out to the Asian community, which is so prevalent in this area to try and make some intentional steps as a church, as we begin challenging ourselves individually to make intentional steps Mm -hmm. to better understand. Um, I think that there's just, there's just too many folks out there. Um, too many people out there to skip this. And I I think that we can make steps in that direction.
0: Yeah,
2: No, yeah, I I affirm that and I look forward to, because I do think it's gonna take um, those intentional steps and I look forward to seeing how God works in that because I think, I I said this before, back in the sermon about race, I said I have not met a person in our church that that person may exist, but I have not met a person in our church that doesn't want everybody from every race to feel welcome here. Mm But the question is, are we going to do what it takes to, to get there? Or are we going to say, as long as you are willing to do church in exactly the way we're used to, you're welcome. Um, so I, I look forward to seeing how that works. But I also just think, you know, what, what you were saying um, about reading is something that I've tried to be purposeful with, with podcasts, with reading, with all that. And I would just throw this out. Um, whenever this airs, it'll probably be after the election. Um, White evangelicals for decades vote predominantly Republican. Black evangelical Christians for decades vote predominantly Democrat. I'm not saying if you're a Republican voter that you're wrong and that shows you're wrong. What I'm saying is that should give us enough pause. If we're saying brothers and sisters in Christ at that percentage, at that dominant percentage, are voting differently than us, that should give us pause before making sweeping statements about people who are voting that way. Hmm. That at the very least should make us say, there's got to be something I'm not getting. It doesn't mean you're going to change parties. That doesn't mean that you're going to conclude that that's the best way to go. But it should make you say, I'm going to pause before I say anybody voting Democrat in this case is godless, you know, whatever. Um, just in the same way that that if we were in a context, there are probably some black pastors that need to say to their black congregation something on the flip side to say, just because somebody is voting Republican doesn't mean they don't care about the poor, does, you know, all those mm-hmm. sorts of things. But, man, those are brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in Christ. That's the thing. It's not just that we're dehumanizing other human beings who God loves deeply. When we make these sweeping dehumanizing statements, we got to realize how many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are included in those groups that we're berating and that would be an inroad if we changed our tactics and our approach in that of creating more space for people to feel like I, I can talk to this person because our Christian togetherness is more important mm-hmm. to him, to her than our political alignment.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so important. I wanna thank you both for coming on this, mm-hmm. com- this show and this conversation. I think it's really important. I hope this uh, spurs others to have similar conversations. I wanna thank everyone who's listening and watching. And as always, Please jump in the comments uh, when this is posted on social media, ask questions, uh, give us your perspective,
2: and uh, we'll see you on Sunday.